Dads, do you want a thriving business that doesn't control you? A passionate marriage and kids that adore you? Do you want to grow deeper in your faith? Be healthier, both physically and mentally? Build more meaningful relationships with your friends? Welcome to the Balanced Business Dad Podcast, where in each episode, we dive into balancing and optimizing the six pillars of life, faith, health, marriage, fatherhood, brotherhood, and business. And here are your hosts, pioneers of the Balanced Business Dad movement, Dustin Hogue and RJ Campbell. What is going on, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Business Dad. Coach Dustin here, and with me, as always, my esteemed colleague, which is going to be probably the only, uh, what is it, adjective I'm using these days, Mr. RJ Campbell. RJ, how are we doing? Doing wonderful. Hello, gentlemen. Hope everybody's having a great day. Yeah, absolutely. So, RJ, what's been going on in your world? What's been going on? It is going on the middle of July. Yeah. And I am one week out from my daughter getting married. Yes. So last weekend, the big event, our only daughter, our youngest of three, and the big soiree event. Nice. So really officially an empty nester. Yes. No longer Madison Campbell. She's now Madison Marion. She probably loves me giving out this information to yeah, you the know, whole world. Full last name. Here's the address. No, that is exciting. Let me put a picture up of her. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. That is awesome. Sounds like a good time. What do you want to talk about today? We're going to talk about generational wealth. It's interesting. After just having your daughter married off, that's the way to live generational wealth. Make sure they marry well. <laughs> <laughs> she's not a lot about me. She says she doesn't like when I keep mentioning that she's marrying a doctor because he wasn't a doctor when they met. So, they did yeah, wait to get married until he was one. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, generational wealth. True? Myth? Good? Bad? And what we're really going black and white on this. Yeah, and what does it even mean? Does it mean one generation or does it mean the rest of generations? I think that's the question. When I hear the word generational wealth, you think of, you know, my grandkids, 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 but it has to be a little bit more to make it hit that wall. Yeah. I remember our friend Garth Brooks saying that one time when he was talking about the money that he had made. And he said, I've made so much money that my grandkids' grandkids can't spend my money. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that's probably been proven incorrect. I was going to say, I bet his financial thermostat wasn't that high yet. But <laughs> right. It's like, because trust me, they can spend it in a couple of generations. Yeah. You actually have a story that we were just talking about before we uh, jumped on here, and then we'll kind of go into that, but about pretty much how the generational wealth without other tools besides wealth is passed down, that it doesn't last too many generations. So you want to share that story? I was just finished reading a book on the Vanderbilts. So we're going way back to the late 1800s when the Vanderbilt fortune was built through railroads and shipping. So the Vanderbilts became the wealthiest family in the world. Money was different than even in today's wealth. They were only, they weren't even billionaires. Not even if you, you know, coined it today's dollars, they, they were like three billion. But it shows you this is how wealthy they were. One out of every $20 that moved through the world economy was Vanderbilt money. That's insane. So it's insane wealth. Yeah, all the railroads, shipping. I mean, it was the Vanderbilts. And within about three generations, there was no more Vanderbilt wealth. Commodore, who's Commodore Vanderbilt, as I always talked to him, which is started it. His son took it over. Then it went on to another son. And by that third one, they even said they were no longer in the job of creating wealth. Their job was spending wealth. They were building the biggest houses, literally bigger houses in the world, and they were just spending money. There is no Vanderbilt fortune anymore. 
We know Vanderbilt University because their name was on it back then. But uh, the people that are this, the descendants of the Vanderbilts now inherit nothing. That's absolutely insane. So that was in a hundred years ago. They were still one of the wealthiest families in the world you know, in the 1920s. Here we are a hundred years later. There is no Vanderbilt money. Hmm. So that generational wealth, you're talking about Jeff Bezos money. Right. Or more, really, in the standards so, gone in generations. To go back to your question, is it true, is it not true, or is it a myth? I want to say it's a myth because you can't just pass down wealth for it to keep going. Because as I mean, even in today, and let's take, you know, make that, take, I don't know, seven zeros out of it. I'm leaving my kid, you know, 300 or $3 million. If they don't do anything with that and it's not invested properly and they're not paying attention, it's going to be gone. Right. We just know that even the best annuity out there in the world, yes. you're going to outspend it. Right. There's inflation and there's everything else. that goes along. Yeah. And you think about that family tree that's just going and going. Like when Commodore Vanderbilt left his money, he left it to one kid. He had nine children. One got the money. The other eight got some money. Wow. You know, back in those days, still a lot of money. You're talking about late 1800s and these received a few hundred thousand dollars. They're OK. But. And he even said that to his son when he left the money, keep the money together. Mm. Don't divide it up, which would be pretty hard when you have a lot of kids. But then after a couple of generations, they're starting to divide it and they're not working anymore. They're no longer in the business of developing wealth. They were never learned the skills to make money. And isn't that it? So what did they miss in that part of generational wealth? There has to be more passed down. The generational, there has to be the skills, there has to be the habits, there has to be the management, there has to be the leadership that goes with it in generational wealth. That's how that and goes. desire. Oh, that's a good one. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, some of these, they're happy with what they have. They're three or four generations down from the guy that developed, you know, started a car dealership, his first one in 1938, yeah. and now here and built it up to where he had 11 dealerships. And now you're four generations later and the kids, grandkids, grandkids, you know, they don't care. They have money. They're not driven. Mm, not driven. So I think that's where the desire, they didn't grow up with desire. They didn't need it. So let's go to a quote that we were looking at before this, because we kind of knew we were going to take this in this direction. So I'm going to read this verbatim, but it's by Michael Hopps. H-O-P-S. I have not read this book because I know you guys are, RJ thinks I read every book out there, but I have not read this one. But we've heard this, and this came from the book, Those Who Remain. But hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. That desire is somewhere in there, isn't it? Because it desire is. is a want. Which sometimes, if I don't have what I'm looking for, it could be a harder time because I'm wanting something, right? It's not easy. I'm wanting this. I'm desiring it. Well, if we're not wanting, then it creates harder times because they don't have that desire. They don't have that. Yeah, passion. that's good. And I'm not saying that. That's the good times during week one. You have to follow in your parents or your father's footsteps to even have generational wealth because I think there's other ways that can be done. As a parent, as a leader of the family, dads, we have to pass out life skills and the right habits to create, if we have wealth that we're giving or if we're not, but the passion and the way to build wealth. That's what I want to leave my kids is the lessons on how to build wealth, not just wealth. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. 
just leaving you the money doesn't get you there. Right. It's developing the life skills that whole time, leaving them that desire, that passion to be bigger, better, better. Yeah. To be successful, to take care of, to not just rely on other people. Don't just rely on what I'm giving you. Right. To lead. And we're seeing this right now with the ultra wealthy that are deciding, coming out in public saying, we are not leaving our billions to our children. Yeah. I I pulled up something while we were talking. I don't think I have it anymore, but there's like 14 very, very wealthy people that say we're not. You know, Bill Gates is one of them. We all know Warren Buffett says he's not leaving his wealth. Now he's leaving his kids some money. There's a guy I follow personally that's big into the real estate investing space. And he's like, you know, my kids aren't wealthy. I will leave them, you know, in case of a medical emergency. So there's nothing like that. Maybe weddings, maybe education. But besides, oh, and then one thing I really liked, he said, they will have access for me to lend them money in their business ventures, right? So what what you're leaving them in my opinion there is opportunity, right? Is the opportunity to go out and create wealth, that's generational to me, teaching this opportunity. You know, as someone, RJ, I would love your take on this, that has older kids, obviously your youngest just got married off. I don't plan on ever getting an inheritance. I don't think it's going to happen. The wealth I've had has surpassed, you know, my parents and I'm okay with that. My goal is to help them. Yet, you know, when you were working while your kids were younger, what was your thoughts about that? Leaving them or, you know, obviously as your parents who are not with us anymore, I would love to hear your opinion on this as the much, much wiser part here. <laughs> that's, that's a nice way of saying, dude, you're yeah, old. Basically. Yeah. We never talked about that with our kids. Really? Never talked about us leaving them money, leaving them a trust fund or anything like that. Well, you know, because we didn't have one. But um, I never had an expectation of what I was going to be left. And I don't think they do either. But when we get into this topic, I've also never had this conversation with our three kids about generational wealth. What have I provided to them? And what have they learned from me, you know, regarding that desire and skills? This has never been brought up. We don't talk about money enough. Not nearly. It's such a taboo topic yeah. that you're kind of afraid of it. And, and, well, so now my kids, they're in their own world. Right. I mean, they've gone their own separate directions. So I'm sure they have, I can't believe they have much expectation of, they probably have, yeah, that they're going to get something but not like generational wealth. Right. We're going to ride it hard and slide into these, into our griefs. <laughs> I love you know, it. And that dirty used up and broke. Me, that's <laughs> the way, right? Because you're not, well, you know, my kids are okay. My kids, my kids are going to be okay if they have the lessons and the skills in life. And excuse my language, and they're not assholes. I had a coach one day said, he knows he's won the game if my kids aren't assholes and they're just good people with society. And I'm like, wow, I love that. Right? It's really true. That's all we can ask. You know, to, to bring it back there, you talked about you've never talked to your kids about these skills, which I got to assume is probably not a conversation most parents have, right? What am I leaving you or why am I teaching you this, that kind of thing? I mean, it's probably something that I talk to, you know, I have a six and a half year old and a three year old, so it's very much different. But when I teach him a lesson or I'm trying to teach him a lesson in the businesses that we run, I try to explain to him, is it going to catch on? I don't know because he's so young, yet it's something that I keep on enforcing. But I'll take it back to my childhood. So, you know, I come from a, uh, a blended family where my dad remarried when I was nine years old, 10 years old. And my stepmom, who's been a part of my life forever, had a three-year-old daughter, three or four-year-old daughter. And, you know, so we were practically raised together. I consider her my sister. And it's just, you know, that's how it is. But the skills I believe we were taught was very different growing up. And not that was one way was right, not that one way was bad, but my sister was an extreme athlete. 
So kind of what she did was perform in sports. And that's what she wanted to do and things like that. Well, I was not an athlete. If you ever heard some of our past stories, definitely not an athlete. And 48 hours after I turned 16, I had my first job and I was working 35 hours a week. Now, did my sister learn skills as an athlete and playing for all the sports teams and things like that? A hundred percent she did. I'll never take that away from anyone. But I think I learned different skills. And my dad has always been a worker, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours work, a week at work. And that was kind of his work ethic. He just worked to fix things. And uh, I believe we were taught two different skills, or at least we were programmed. Maybe not. We were probably taught the same skills. It's just programming hits differently. And I believe my programming is different than my sister's because of that. So they left us two different lessons. Not that they did anything wrong or right. It was just two different lessons. Um, and I think it probably shows sometimes, not in a good way or a bad way. It just is. But it's, it's, it's pretty interesting when you look back at that as being the kid. What were you taught in these life lessons? And you were taught to be more self-sufficient. Yeah, 100%. I didn't have a team. That's the difference. When you're out there working for your own money, you're not playing on a team sport. And even today, like my kids are starting to get into sports, but it's kind of interesting because I prefer them to be on the individualistic sports, martial arts, anything like that. And I, it's interesting you mentioned that. I never put that. That's, I'm going to bet that's why. Hmm. Interesting. It's crazy what you find out. Yeah. And you know, we talked about, we look back on this now, now we're branching into something totally different, but you know, what did we expect? Did we expect to inherit and have something? And I say that I didn't. But that's because my life changed when I was a teenager. So my dad was president of a company that was a very large worldwide producer of leather outerwear. So his partner had one son. I'm the only son. We started all, all and my sisters, we all started working there. You know, when you're, you know, probably sixth grade, you'd work there doing things at the factory, as we called it in the summers. I grew up at that point thinking that the other gentleman, Ralph, that his son and I would be the two running that company once I got old and out of college, that that would be the next step. And when I was about, yeah, just before I turned 16, that company went very quickly under with the, so we're talking about the 70s, the influx of very inexpensive Asian leather and Asian manufacturing into this company, and they manufactured here. So it went from being very large to small and then gone in a short amount of time. So I did grow up thinking that I had a life plan I guess really in a way, you know, I think about that as you're inheriting a company, but really did. That's what I always thought I'd be doing. Yeah. All right. I'll be in the leather business, just like my dad. And be taking over this company. But so that wasn't something that changed in my 20s. That changed when I was you know, 15 or 16 and realized, oh, wow, I guess I have to, I have to get a real job. Was your dad grooming you for that role, you think? I would say yes, without really knowing him. How much are you really grooming somebody when they're 12, 13, 14, 15? Right. But I did start working there when I was in sixth grade, after school and then in the summers. But so did my sisters. We all had that opportunity to work there. And we did. In all different aspects, I did everything. You know, did work in shipping and receiving and making patterns and cutting patterns and just schlepping leather all over the place and in the office and the accounting. So I guess in that way, yeah, we all were touching a little bit of everything. I love that. I, I, you got to tell the story because I absolutely love how your dad handled the working with his kids. <laughs> so I was the last of six to work there. But yeah, Dustin thinks it's so funny that, you know, whenever we went to work there, then one of the first rules that he put into place, besides the one advice was you need to work harder here than anybody else, because you'll always be looked at as one of the owner's kids. 
So it doesn't matter how hard you're working, people are thinking you're not working hard enough. You're just given this opportunity. But our other thing is when we were in the office place, he wasn't dad. He was Mr. Campbell to all of us because he was to other people that worked there. So we were not to call him dad when he came walking down the hall or came into the office or we had a question. He was Mr. Campbell. And to me, that was totally normal when I was there. That's so powerful. I, I think because what he did is he made you on an even playing field with everybody else who worked there. And that, going back yeah. to the topic of this generational wealth, that right there is a life lesson. That's how you create generational wealth because he taught you different things like that. And that's fantastic. There's uh, I just saw it actually randomly on like an Instagram reel or something like that, where it was talking about owners of companies in the 60s versus now, where this kid comes to his dad, hey, I want to work at the company. And the dad's like, you know, now, great. What company? He's like, well, I would like to head up the sales department. The dad says, great, start Monday. 50 years, ago, the same kid says, hey, I might start at the company. He's like, great, here's an application. We do have a janitor position open. Go ahead and apply. My first job at the factory was cleaning carts. Yeah. And so we just had these big square cloth carts that rolled around with all the you know, all the leather and then the finished goods, and they would get threads in the wheels. And so that's what I did after school. I would go there, flip carts upside down, take off the wheels, take the threads off, put them back on. I got paid 25 cents a cart. Nice. This, this reel went on <laughs> to talk about how you know, the kid was upset because he had to apply for the janitor position. And the dad said, if you can't interview and get a job as a janitor, why would I put you anywhere else in this company? If you can't apply and interview on your own, why would I put you anywhere in this company? Right there, Mike Drug. What that, to me, that was more generational wealth than whatever kind of money he left or would have left that job. That's pretty cool. That's when generational wealth continues for a while. Correct. That's when it's true. What generation did that stop and they just became entitled and it's just, yep, this is what you get. Yeah. There's a local company here that uh, I was talking to the owner and he has a few different kids. And he said, I fired every single one of my kids. Because <laughs> they deserved it. Because they deserved it. They weren't good employees. So I fired them. He's like, as, and I, again, I'm telling my kids this, they're so young. So how much will it catch on? But I do agree with Mr. Campbell. You need to be the hardest working person here. You need to outwork everything mm -hmm. else because it is your responsibility. And I love it. To me, that's right. generational worth. Will those kids ever come back and take that company? I don't know. Yet, they're going to have the skills if they do. Right. Yeah. Because you will be judged. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. They were just the one that got handed that opportunity. Yeah. There's probably one company I know that's probably on the fourth generation now. And I went to high school with them. And they are a big, big tractor supply company. What I thought was very interesting is every single one of those kids... And it's brothers that run it. And now it's the brothers' kids that run it. But every single one of those kids, before they could work there, had to go get their college degree, which I really liked, too. You know, like they had to finish something to fall back, plan, whatever it may be. So there are people out there that are teaching their kids these generational wealth. And to me, that's how these companies carry on. And that's where the generational wealth comes in. So back to yeah. generational wealth. Is it a myth? Yeah, because it's generational lessons. It's generational habits. It's the habits of success that we have to give our children. It's the life lessons we have to give our children. And then, in my opinion, the wealth continues and not only continues, but multiplies. So you wonder why we bring this up. So we know that there are so many dads that listen to it, listen to this podcast that are part of our groups that are entrepreneurs. And I'm thinking of a few off our head right now. Dustin's probably thinking of some of the same ones that we know well, that their kids are now working in the business started very young and they're working for them. 
these are the lessons that we have to keep in mind as our kids, sons and daughters come to work for us. Yeah. That they need to be learning these same life lessons. They need to be building that desire to succeed. We're providing them the tools. We're just not providing them an open checkbook to succeed and to spend on what they want. Yeah. And we're going to let them fail. Yes. That's the big part. We'll teach them to fail forward, but we have to teach them to fail. Yeah, right. We're not just going to bail them out forever. Yeah. And they have to learn from those lessons. They have to be like the rest of us. Well, guys, I hope you got a ton out of this because I know when we were talking about this, we realized how important it is. Because again, what we like and what I think we do very well here is we come from two different ends of the spectrum. Obviously, RJ, older, but all of his kids have grown. And was he that introspective when he was raising his kids? Maybe, maybe not. But now we get to talk about from two different sides. And, you know, I look to RJ as a father and mentor because his kids are really successful in life. So he did something right, whether he was known it or not. Or maybe his wife just really, really kicks ass. But Bingo. We, we want to help other dads out there and other business dads out there to carry this on so we can leave the opportunity, not leave generational wealth, but leave the opportunity for generational wealth. And I think that's the key right there. So, guys, again, hope you like this. We will talk next week. We do have a couple things coming up. So by the time you listen to this, go to dadupevent.com. So that's where we're going to start putting all of the events at the Balanced Business Dads going to be coming out with. I'm not sure when this one's going to be aired, but we do have something August 19th in Kansas City. We're going to have something September 12th in St. Peter's, Missouri. And then we have something October 8th, our retreat at the campground. All of that will be found up on dadupevent.com. And that, the right URL will be in the show notes. Take a look at that. We'd love to come out and uh, you join us because there'll be a ton of value, a ton of business dads just getting better at life together. RJ? Yep. And then remember, we also have dadupgroup.com. Yes. So guys, you know, we have a, a Facebook group out here, a free Facebook group for the Balanced Business Dad. The easiest way to get to that is go to dadupgroup.com and that will lead you basically there for signing up yeah. to be part of that, uh, the free Facebook group, 300 and something dads and guys that are hanging out there. Yeah. And passing along this dad knowledge. Growing all the time. So that's dadupevents.com and dadupgroup.com ton of value, ton of information. Go there, check it out, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you next week. This is the podcastfactory.com.